Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. With your host, Robert Martin, and now the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of the Men of Magic. This week I'm joined by a magic professional originally from Massachusetts, now living in Southern California, a member of Team Channel Fireball, winner of Pro Tour Amsterdam, did the unheard of at the Magic Weekend of Paris, finishing second in the Pro Tour bet, and if time didn't conflict with the Pro Tour schedule, should have topped eight the GP event. I'm talking to Paul Reitzel. Hey, how are you, Robert? I'm doing wonderful. Good to be here. Let's start right away with the bannings. Does it op- does it open standard for everyone now? No, I, um, I think it, it does, um, and it doesn't. Uh, you know, I think um, the, the, the first two things that, that everyone sort of thought about when the cards were banned um, is that uh, you know we're going to be able to um, handle Valakut in the new format? I mean, Primeval Titan decks seem really well poised to kind of um, you know take the center of the metagame. And the other thing, the, the the cool the cool thing about the new format, and uh, a few people I think uh, PV wrote about this, and also Brad Nelson, um, is that there, there's a whole range of creatures that that may not have uh, uh, coming into play abilities and, and don't have Shroud and don't have Haste um, that suddenly become playable. Uh, without uh, without Jace around to sort of uh, um, you know keep them under wraps. So uh, you know Hero of the Blade Hold and Frexian Obliterator and I think uh, you know, Brian Kibler even wrote about uh, Obsidian Fireheart and all, all of these creatures which we've been wondering you know hmm I wonder if that's a good four drop or a good five drop or whatever um, that that Jace sort of invalidated as, as a useful strategy. Well people are going to be able to to brew with those and and it'll be interesting to see sort of what um, you know archetypes sort of spring up. Um, centered around those creatures. You wrote in your article about exploring Boros again. Does this now yeah. open you up to play Boros again? Well, you know, a lot of it depends. I mean, Boros is, is a kind of deck um, because it really is sort of a, an all-in strategy now. You don't have the ability to, to fall back on, on Stoneforge and Mysticking up uh, some ridiculously powerful um, rare or mythic uh, equipment and, and sort of riding that to victory. Um, it, it's going to largely depend on the metagame. If, uh, if Valakut decks are going back to uh, um, you know where they were you know you know well before Paris where uh, um, they're running main deck pyroclasm or main deck flagstone it's going to be a tough uh, um, sort of a tough sell for for Boros but um, you still have in my opinion even more so than the sort of the mono red decks um, amongst the most powerful openings available for an aggressive deck in, in standard um, both uh, step links and, and plated GOP don't don't really need. Uh, equipment to, to put pressure on the opponent. Um, so if, uh, if what happens is the metagame sort of uh, tilts against um, Balakutin's, um, you know, blue-black control decks for spreading seas and, and heavy counter magic and, and a lot of the, uh, um, the Seaver XR combo decks and, and, uh, and even, you know, mono-red decks that try to go even faster, you know, Boros might find itself uh, slotted very nicely into the metagame where you have enough raw power to compete. Um, you know, but, uh, but but you're so fast that, you, that you're crushing these decks to try to, um, to fight Valakut that way. There was an article by Wizards referring to you as, Paul, don't call me a little Darwin. Mm-hmm. Why is this? And it was it was evolving a match against you and Jerry Thompson. There was another quote in there that I also want to talk about. Okay, so, you know, this is uh, actually not something, not a direct quote from me. I think um, the article you're referring to is from a Grand Prix, a mirrored and block constructed Grand Prix, a match I played against Jerry Thompson. Um, and the, uh, the the reporter, the writer of the, the feature match was uh, Ted Knudsen, who is obviously um, prone to, to, um, to, to humorous writing. 
Um, and I think, you know, it was sort of a point in my career where, um, you know, I was sort of just breaking onto the stage for the first time. I may have made, um, like, two, uh, one or two Grand Prix top eights that year and uh, a Pro Tour top 16 um, that, uh, you know, there, there was the thought that I, I was starting to um, sort of uh, separate myself, distance myself um, from Darwin Castle to kind of uh, start my own reputation and legacy. Um, certainly not something that, that I would have said uh, in the middle of a feature match, and I obviously have the, um, the utmost respect for, for Darwin and, and, and all of uh, Team Your Move Games. I mean, those are the guys that I, that I started playing with. But, uh, um, you know, it was, it, was their, it was their way of saying, look, you know, this kid can kind of play on his own right now. And, and so, uh, you know, as Darwin was, was playing less and less, um, you know, I, I guess it was Ted's way of saying, you know, this is, this is a player in his own right that we should be watching. Also in the match, the comment was made about, for those of you who have never seen him in action, he's positively hyperkinetic. This USC sophomore is constantly running off at the mouth, pondering his next play aloud, commenting about what his opponent's sport looks like and what he could be holding in his hand, basically anything under the sun. Right. From what I've seen, this is not you now. Has uh-huh. time changed this? You know, I, I think it, for me a lot of it depends on the match and, and my opponent. And, and a lot of actually people have asked me this question pretty frequently. Um, you know, I tend to be pretty friendly um, you know, with people, I, I find that uh, um, you know one of the things that's uh, that's sort of important in the in the sub game of magic, the mental game of magic, um, is to make sure your impo- opponent is really enjoying the match. Um, that that is going to sort of uh, make them more um, uh, comfortable in making sort of small, uh, you know, mathematical or tactical errors. And it's going to make them feel like you're someone they're okay losing to. Uh, if you're if you're really uh, um, uh, sort of just stoic and, and mean to them all the time and, and very uh, um, sort of taciturn, they're going to want to beat you in order to sort of prove a point. Um, so I, I do try, sort of uh, tend to be chatty during matches, but um, you know if uh, if my opponent is not uh, not giving anything back, if he's not into that sort of match, um, you know I'll go the other. Um, sort of the other extreme where I will, you know, try not to shuffle my cards around in my hand. I'll basically just sort of stare blankly while, while they have priority and, and try not to give anything away. Um, so, um, you know, I, I find that by, by sort of polarizing to those extremes, I'm, I'm able to best maintain, um, my own focus. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, um, uh, I, I may, you know, have a different demeanor depending on sort of the, the level of the match. You know, at, at a pro tour level match, um, I, I'm, I'm probably going to tend more towards um, that sort of serious, uh, stoic, um, you know, uh, you know, not sort of touching my cards and flipping them around and that sort of thing. Um, at, at a Grand Prix, um, you know, where, where you know we're, we're all mo- there mostly to, uh, to have fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be that sort of chatty. Uh, uh, I, what, do you, what do you say, kinetic, kinetic yes. uh, player that uh, is uh, always uh, bouncing around? So, um, I, you know, it's sort of a, a rambling answer to the question. The, the, the truth is that I don't have a, a sort of a set way that I'm, I go into matches. I kind of have to play off my opponent to feel how the, the vibe is going to be. Between rounds, uh, Juza and Paulo were just laughing away, kind of smiling, kind of talking, and and it was amazing because at the time you guys were all in the thick of trying to figure out where you're going to finish in day two, and yet it was kind of this loose kind of let's have some fun, let's, you know, talk about the game, let's talk about, I forgot what it was that uh, Juza brought up, something hilarious, and you guys all started laughing about it, and I'm like, it was amazing to see that, that it was so comfortable, even in that 
situation. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's a case with us where, where uh, you know, at, at this point, I, I, I can't speak for Martin and, and, and Paulo, uh, but I, I probably play close to um, to 70 Grand Prix at this point, 60 or 70 Grand Prix. So, um, you know, it, it's just an environment that I've been in a bunch of times. Um, the, the payouts are not spectacular. Um, I obviously, you know, I, I don't need the, the, the invites to the Pro Tour, so... So I'm mainly going um, to have fun, obviously pick up some, some pro tour points along the way, hopefully. But uh, for me, I mean, it's, it's always been the people and, and, and what happens between matches and, and, and the traveling that's, that's most important about magic. So, so you know, being able to hang out with those guys who obviously think about the game on a high level and, and are, uh, and, and are, and are you, know, you know, very well socially adjusted, you know, funny guys is, is you know, that, that's what causes me to uh, – um, to take these red eye flights to uh, to Grand Prix, um, you know, on the East Coast, and and uh, um, and sort of grind it out. So um, yeah, you know, it, there are times when when magic is stressful and 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 you don't want to talk to anybody, um, you know. But uh, but ultimately, um, you know, except for you know very very small few of us, you know, we're doing this mostly for fun, um, and uh, and it's the relationships uh, that we've made from the game that are going to be the things that you know we sort of take from it, you know. Long after we stop, you know, trying to go to every event and pick up every point. So, yeah. obviously, trip to Nagoya had to be. I mean, you had the advantage of being at least on the West Coast, but that right. had to be a grind. Try to explain to people how that is for a player to have to make that many time zone shifts and then playing a pro tour, not just a Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, the, the difficult thing uh, when I was younger in, in, uh, in, I guess, when I went to my first pro tour in Japan when I was in high school, probably. Uh, about 10 years ago at this point, um, I would, I would leave a couple of days before the tournament and try to get myself acclimated, um, to the, uh, to the time zone. You know, nowadays I'm, I'm leaving sort of the day before registration. You know, it's, it's about a nine and a half hour flight from LAX to Tokyo. Um, and then, uh, you know, in, in this case, uh, I was dealing with a, about a two hour Tokyo before catching flight to Goya, uh, followed by a 45 minute train ride. So I, I actually, Got into my hotel about 10:45 p.m. Uh, the night before Pro Tour Nagoya after not sleeping sort of an hour, a wink on the uh, on a plane ride. So um, you know, in light of all of that, you uh, if if I could go back and change it, of course, um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't play the same deck. I, I played a bank control deck, which required sort of a lot of uh, um, attention, and, and and frankly, you know. It's why it's one of the main reasons why you know when, when tournaments are outside the United States, I've tended to, to play um, you know, sort of aggressive decks because uh, um, I'm able to sort of rely on more experiential knowledge uh, um, to, to sort of guide me through tough decisions and, and be able to play quickly. Um, you know, it, it, when you go to Japan, it, it, unless you're a real um, you know unique case, you're going to not sleep the first night. Um, that you're there, and you're not going to really get acclimated until it's almost time to uh, to come back to the United States. So it's it's a definite um, it's a tough road game, as they would say in, in sports, to go to to go to Japan. And I, and I haven't uh, historically Japan has been been sort of a weak spot for me in my in my pro tour schedule. So yeah. Speaking of going to the other end of the planet, let's talk about pro tour Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, rewatched the uh, interview you had with BDM and Rich Hagen, and from a personal standpoint for someone who just won a pro tour that was one of the most humble interviews i have ever heard you were thanking 
everybody on the planet was really excited about it, and I really liked the question that was given to you about this time you felt you had the right deck. Mm-hmm. And that moment of you kind of paused for a second, you're like, yes, and it finally felt like it was right. It's, it was just interesting as a interviewer to hear something like that. But I got to ask about the field. That was, and quoting Rich Hagen, quite possibly the best top eight ever. Mm-hmm. Sure. How did it feel to sweep that field to win? You know, it's it's something that, uh, and and I'm sure that uh, that, that David Sharfman or, or or Jeffrey Sloan would tell you the same thing. Um, you know, as it's uh, as it's happening, as you're playing the, the games, you're you're so much in the moment. I mean, that you're you have to fight so hard to stay focused with the with the heat of the lights and the fact that there's only eight and then four and then two of you up on stage and uh, you know three spotters around with with cameras and judges and um, and and the money and the pro tour points and the way that could you know potentially change your your life and the um, the trajectory of your magic career you have to stay uh, fight so hard to stay focused on each individual turn and making sure you know uh, you know make sure I play a land before I uh, attack with my step links I mean these are the things that I'm thinking about so I, you know even uh, uh, in between matches all you know all I was sort of doing was focusing on okay, how do I deal with my next opponent you know what what are each turn going going to bring to me so it wasn't until um, sort of I guess after the event that I even, you know, realized or, or thought about um, what had happened. Um, you know, it's it, it's something that uh, uh, I, I actually, I, you know, not directly but indirectly thought about a while back. You know, what would it be like um, to have one of those weekends? Was I even capable of having a weekend where I could both play at a high level, have the right deck, and get extremely lucky? Um, and obviously that whole weekend was sort of uh, um, an embodiment of that. But, I, but specifically in the topic, you know, I, I thought I played – you know, amongst the best magic of my career, with the exception of maybe one or two plays that I've, I've gone back and looked and said, you know, I could have maybe done that better. But I, I did not mulligan, I think I mulligan maybe once or more times, which is just, uh, uh, you know, obviously in nine games, that's, that's running significantly above expectation. Um, and then, you know, just things, things happen to work out. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, the fact that it hasn't been constructed is obviously, you know, very unlikely. It's tough to win you know, that many games on the draw against sideboard opponents. Um, but uh, I, I think it's really just a testament to, uh, you know, the, the deck that, uh, that Nassif was able to put together and, and the team of guys that I worked with. I mean, when, when I'm spending my time playing practice games against, you know, Kai Buddha and, and, and Gabriel Nassif and then, you know, also, you know, Matt here in, uh, in Southern California, um, you know, I was sort of, you know, ready for anything. And, uh, you know, that just happened to work out. What does it mean to be... Pro Tour champion. You know, I I never uh, from from when I was uh, nine years old, and, and my babysitter bought me uh, a couple packs of cards to to you know the moment before Brad extended my hand. I, I never really I didn't have it as a goal. I didn't think that it would happen. Um, you know, I played the game always to kind of to travel and see the world, and I've always tried my hardest, but but ultimately uh, with no real expectation that I would be. Um, successful, you know, I, I, I tend to have a, a sort of a, a lower uh, estimation of my own ability to play than, than a lot of other people do. I don't, I don't consider myself, you know, one of the elite players, and I've said that before. Um, to win a pro tour, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, there's a ton of luck involved, and I thought I played well for one weekend. Um, but it's just always something for me that, that I'll be able to think about and sort of point to and say, you know what? 
this uh, this thing that I've been doing this 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 it's more than a hobby for me. It's it's a, it's a part partial lifestyle choice um, that's been going on now for, for I guess what 16 years. Um, it wasn't a waste of time. You know, I I did something and 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 you know people are going to remember me at least in in one way. So. Um, you know, for, for people who, it's, it's actually even more important, I think, for people who are, um, you know, not entwined in the game. I mean, people who are in the game, they know what winning a pro tour means. They know how hard it is to beat, you know, the, the field that, that are at the pro tours these days. But outside of the game, unless they see, you know, you, you know, on the, the front page of wizards.com, unless they can, you know, sort of Google your name, um, it, it's hard to really, uh, to explain to them. Yeah, this means something to people, and and uh, and to be able to show that to my friends and family who might not, you know, know as much, uh, uh, you know, means a lot to me, and and uh, I, I think it uh, it means a lot to them as well. Where's the trophy? The trophy, uh, well, so I I the, the trophy for Amsterdam is on my bookshelf uh, next to my parents' trophy here, and and I gave uh, my my Honolulu plaque because uh, it was my first top eight to. Um, to my parents, so they have that uh, back in Massachusetts. Let's talk about your friendship with Matt Sperling. Sure. It seems like you two have a real great teamwork philosophy when it comes to decks and stuff like that. How how did that all start? And because you referred to him uh, when you talked about Pro Tour Amsterdam, how did that all start? Yeah. So it, the funny thing is that uh, um, my the last match that I played in the PCQ in my life was uh, was in Chip. Champions, 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 sealed deck, and I was four one and one, I think, and I, I was playing for top eight, and I lost to this uh, sort of other brash, um, you know, twenty something from Southern California, and it turns out it was it was Matt Sperling, and at the um, you know, at a PPQ in Costa Mesa, the the only one that I played, um, you know, out here in Southern California. Uh, at the time, I, I had no idea sort of who he was. I didn't remember him afterwards. I just remember that he basically destroyed me, um, and then uh, when when uh, Grand Prix Los Angeles, uh, I think 2009, came around, uh, Mark Herberholtz, uh, uh, my place from from uh, from Michigan to, to play in the Grand Prix and stay at my place and go out around uh, around Hollywood and, and, and the Los Angeles area, and uh, he introduced me to Matt, who I did not recognize at all, who I did not know at the time was even a Magic player. I, it just did not ring a bell to me, uh, and we went out and we had fun and we just we didn't even talk about Magic. We talked about poker and life and other things. And it only I found out, you know, after everyone had gone their separate ways, Mark was back in uh, um, uh, sort of Michigan that, that, that Matt was a Magic player. Um, and at that point, you know, we started exchanging, you know, instant messages and and, uh, um, and information. And we would get together and sort of uh, uh, and talk. And you know, we share something in common, which is that we both, uh, at least, you know, putatively try to play Magic at the highest level. Um, but uh, do so while, while working demanding sort of full-time jobs. So, so our testing process, to get to, to get to the question in sort of a roundabout way, is largely affected by the fact that we both understand each other's realities when it comes to, uh, to time availability and, and testing efficiently. And, um, you, know, you know, I think that uh, um, there are times when we'll be playing a 10-game set against one another of, of some matchup, um, you know, during our limited time, and we'll just stare at each other at exactly the same time and say, "Look, this deck is not working. We can't spend another and even 45 minutes of our time because you know we may only have 10 hours total to prepare for that tournament." So, um, and you know, Matt is a uh, is a great guy. Um, you know, obviously he's a he's got a, a JD from UCLA, so he's extremely um, intelligent, and I I respect his uh, his opinion as much as sort of anyone else that I've. Uh, 
uh, you know, met uh, on the Pro Tour, and, and I'm, I'm lucky to have, uh, you know, one person in close proximity that plays at such a high level that I can uh, sort of count on to, to get ready for tournaments. The show you did, the first couple episodes you did with Matt, it seemed mm-hmm. like you could tell naturally right away between the two of you that I'll use the phrase joined at the hip, but you just mm-hmm. refer to it by basically how your chemistry is together. Right. It just seemed like that really worked, and it really made the show flow. Mm-hmm. And that's why I brought this question up, because it just seemed like you two naturally kind of had this feeding off of each other. And that's something yeah. that, in no matter what you do competitively, if you have that foil that is someone who understands you perfectly, it mm-hmm. does make it a lot easier, whether it's whatever event you're in. It is nice to have someone like that. And I, I think that that says something really good about magic as well as a whole, and specifically competitive magic in that, um, you know, you know, learning um, good social skills and, 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 and good communication skills and, and making lifelong friends um, can, can lead to success in magic. Um, and not just the other way around, you know. So um, it's it's uh, it's a good thing that you know. They, of course, you can meet people through magic, um, but but being able to sort of uh, to use magic to develop you know those those life skills and and and, and then um, you know extend those friendships, um, you know that's you know that's ultimately what what the game is all about to me. So yeah. Outside of Amsterdam, mm-hmm. what was the best match you've ever played in Magic? That, that's actually an easy question for me. That's that's going to be uh, the quarterfinals in Paris against uh, against Patrick Chapin. Um, that uh, you know that that to me uh, that was that was certainly the best I've ever played. Um, it, it's it's difficult to describe, and I and I and it's just a crime that, that that's not on tape somewhere. Um, there, there were a variety of situations that occurred during the match where I had to just tiptoe around a variety. It's just so many different things between mass removal and the possibility of Jason Tezzeret and, uh, and Worm Coil Engine operating under limited resources with, with non-perfect draws uh, and used the combination of, of intuition and you know a physical tell that I picked up when, we, when I played him during the Swiss and, and took a matchup that... Um, I, I literally lost the first, I think, 19 games that we played tested the matchup uh, uh, on Saturday, and, and, and to actually win that one, um, that, that's certainly the match that I'm that I'm most proud of. Wizards had an article about it, and it described how the last game he needed to pull a pyroclasm on you to reset the board, mm-hmm. and when he pulled it and he saw a land, and he just kind of shook your hand. That moment where that satisfaction came in, like you were talking about, how difficult it was that your matchup was bad to have him not pull that card? Yeah. You, you know, and and when, when you're playing a match like that, in such a bad matchup against a player of Pat's caliber, who, you know, is obviously one of the best to, to ever play the game and sort of a, a surefire Hall of Famer, if, if not this year, then, then soon. Uh, even down to that very last turn, where, where if he draws Pyroclasm, bad shape in game three, I'm thinking about the fact that, okay, now I, I, I'm going to have to win somehow another one of those two games. I didn't think I was a favorite team and win one of two games. So, you know, it, uh, in my mind, as crazy as, that th- th- as it seems, I'm thinking if he draws Pyroclasm here, I'm going to lose the whole match, even though that was just a, a moment in game three. Um, 
you know, paranoid maybe a little bit, but until they actually shake your hand and, and you get to sort of exhale that energy that's been um, built up inside you through the, the hour or the, the hour and a half or however long the, the best of five matches, you always think that something can go wrong. Or, or at least, you know, I mean, that's just the way that, uh, uh, that's just my mindset when I'm playing uh, um, in top eights. Do you enjoy the best of five format or the best of three format? I, I would definitely prefer a best of five format. I think that um, there is a, uh, uh, a an ebb and flow to a match that goes outside of the cards that that exists with uh, with psychology and um, and reading people's uh, physical and, uh, and and vocal mannerisms um, that you just can't pick up uh, in a three game match. I mean, I mean, everyone's played a game or a match before where. You know, game one, someone gets mana screwed. Game two, someone sideboards in the perfect card against you, and you can't beat it, and that's the whole match. You know, it's and that's a shame uh, for for a match to end that way. It, it's very, or it's it's much more rare that in a best of five match, um, it won't be determined by 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 a more uh, sort of like a satisfying combination of uh, of the better deck and the better player, um, and you know. I wish every master in the Pro Tour could be best of five. Obviously, time constraints don't allow it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that um, there's just something more epic about it. Uh, you know, those those game fives, a lot of those game five situations that people you know remember historically throughout Magic, um, you know, are only so big because you know the two players have been sort of battling each other mentally for the previous hour or two hours or whatever it was. So, yeah. Uh, we will put you on the spot here. Okay. I want the top five players in Magic. Right now, not named you. Hmm. So that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I wouldn't put myself in the top ten. So you don't have to worry about me. Ninety nine percent of most people at your competitive level, right. baseball or whatever, they always feel that they're the best at what they do because mm-hmm. it's kind of an attitude you carry when you do that. Yours is a little different. I understand that. That's great. Mm-hmm. The top five players in the world not named you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, we're in a, and this is an interesting question. I actually thought about this question, um, you know, a little bit before. Uh, things have changed so much since when I first started playing on the Pro Tour. Now, because every Pro Tour um, uh, has limited and constructed combined into it, your, your people's results in Pro Tours themselves are much more reflective, I think, now of their of their skill as an overall Magic player than they were before. Um, you know, whereas before, you know, when you have these all constructed or all limited pro tours, you know, sometimes you had players who, who everyone in the, everyone in the pro community knew, um, were amazing, but they wouldn't be putting up the results. Now that's far less likely to happen. Um, so, you know, I, my, my list is probably going to be a little bit, uh, um, on the boring side, but I, I think that to me, the best player in the world right now is, is, is gotta be Luis, uh, Luis Scott Vargas. Um, he, I, I don't see him make, um, you know, many mistakes, uh, if any, he always plays good decks, um, you know, and, and obviously he has the, the sort of support of team channel fireball such that he's well prepared for events and he takes them seriously. And, and honestly, if, if, if you're betting your life on who's going to win each tournament, you can't do better than him. Um, second, you know, I, I would probably take, uh, you know, Paulo Vitor, um, he, uh, again, he thinks about the game at such a high level. Um, the only thing that I see him do wrong is put his creatures and, and, and enchantments behind his lands, which infuriates me. Um, but uh, uh, he, uh, he is such a smart guy, um, and he, he's learning chess now, too, which is bad news for all the chess players in the world. 
Um, so I, I would probably put him at number two. Um, at three, I, I would probably say um, Ben Ben Stark. Uh, ben, ben is a player with enormous amount of raw talent, and when he you know feels motivated and wants to put in the time on Magic Online to get the reps, he is able to explain to other pros things they didn't even know they didn't know about the form. If that makes sense. Um, he understands multiple levels deeper um, than, than I do about a lot of formats, uh, and, and he's certainly, um, in my opinion, the, the, the best crafter on the circuit right now. Um, fourth, I would probably take uh, probably Martin Juza at this point. Um, I mean, again, he, he's a guy that I have not played against that much except in, in, in sort of casual side games, um, but uh, his technical play is extremely good. Um, I, I remember in a match I played against him in Nashville, uh, I tried to get a read on him as to whether or not he had a certain card, uh, and it was just completely uh, impossible for me to get uh, anything out of him. And, and, and these results speak for himself. I mean, he's able to consistently make level eight. He makes top eight every other Grand Prix. Um, this, you know, this, this answer will probably surprise you, uh, and this is, this is the, uh, uh, I guess, the sort of the dark horse, but I would still say Gabriel Nassif. Um, I, you know, I, I've been speaking with him recently, and uh, you know, he tells me that he's, he's strongly considering, um, you know, making a, a real effort to get to Philadelphia and, and prepare for it. And I still think that that with with a full, uh, I guess, training camp, if you will, a full spring training under his belt, um, he's as dangerous as anyone uh, in, in these sort of mixed format Grand Prix um, to, to make a top eight. So that's my list. I like the fact that you described the change to the Pro Tour format as affecting your top five. I I have to agree with that, that it's, it has raised the difficulty level of being successful in it by twofold. Yep. In that case, for how satisfying is it to see, like when Ben won this year sure. in Paris, how satisfying is it you as player to be sitting at the table across from him in that game? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if it got picked up on the mic or if people heard it, uh, but but what I said to him um, when when I extended my hand uh, and and uh, and sort of conceded the match, congratulated him on winning. I, I said, congratulations, Ben. You know, you really deserve it. Uh, and 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 really, I, you know, I meant that. Uh, um, it, you know, it was truly a match in which the, the better player piloting the better deck, um, who had who had prepared. Uh, more assiduously, um, you know, was victorious, and 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 you know, with Ben, um, you know, I, 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 you know, like to think with myself the year before, um, with Brian uh, Kibler, not long before that, you're seeing in these uh, uh, in these mixed format uh, pro tours, there's there's not a lot of fluke winners. There's a lot of guys who, you know, when, when uh, they hear who wins, a lot of people are thinking, huh, that guy. It's been a long time coming for that guy, and and he's put in his dues, and he deserves it. Um, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of times in the past, and I can't speak specifically for Brian or for Ben, but for me, you know, I felt like, you know, I just at times when I was at the top of my game and 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 thought that I, you know, was a favorite against 95% of the people I'd be playing, I wouldn't have the right deck for the for the constructed tournaments, and then I wouldn't have enough time to prepare for the limited tournaments, and I would just go into these cycles of of, uh, of just near misses, you know, uh, and, and these days, uh, you know, you. Because uh, of the split format, you're able to divide your time evenly. 
Uh, no one's able to completely master both formats, so, so people are forced to rely on sort of their, their natural skill and their, their intuition and their sort of raw ability uh, a lot more, and it rewards the people who have, who have put in the hours. And, um, and, and I guess to, to get back to your initial question, um, Ben certainly fits that bill to, to, to a T. I mean, he is, uh, um, he's the definition of an, of an old-school guy who, who's been around forever, always been highly respected by the pros, not just for his ability, but also for his integrity and the way he, he approaches, uh, he approaches the game. And, uh, and certainly, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't win it away. You know, I, I certainly wish that I had won. And, um, and, uh, and there's some things that, uh, uh, in that match, I wish it could have been differently, but if I could lose to someone, he, he's very near the top of the list of people. It's interesting because literally with this format change now, after having the win, and coming in second, mm-hmm. and yet you still, in your own mind, don't consider yourself one of the top players in the world. This this has me as a observer of Magic baffled. Ex- mm-hmm. Explain to me how you can finish, how you can win and finish second in arguably the most difficult way of doing Magic, and you still don't see yourself as one of the best in the world. I'm I'm kind of baffled you know, by I, this. I think that the, the the things that I've I've realized as I've gotten older and, and play the game a lot more. Is that I just make so many mistakes. Um, I, I'm not able to to observe all the other um, players that people consider elite all the time. So I don't know, uh, you know, what their percentage of of, uh, of games are. They make a mistake, but I, you know, it, it's not just for me the the, the dope mistakes, you know, where I uh, where I screw up and play the wrong land or or do something out of order. It's strategically I'll, I'll make I'll make a play after thinking about something. And then realized it was wrong, you know, not very far after. Um, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, uh, like I said, my, my instincts are, are good. I, I have, I'm able to sort of tap into um, a wealth of knowledge that I've built up throughout years and years of playing the game. But something as simple as, as, as figuring out sideboarding on the fly um, in limited is something that I'm just still very, very weak at. Um, it's, these are they're fundamentals in my game. Um, that uh, that I, that I've never been able to to sort of fully develop to the point where I would consider them at an elite level, um, and and I played uh, enough against and and spoken with um, guys like uh, Luis and, and like PV and like Ben S that I know that these guys are at a much higher level when it comes to these uh, these specific skills. So um, you know I, I, I certainly don't feel helpless against the best players in the world, and I go into almost every match feeling like I'm a favorite. Um, but but to be truly elite, um, I don't think you can have as many holes in your game as as, as I do. So, yeah, that's um, it, it, it may be slightly uh, um, pessimistic and an unfair view of myself, but uh, um, yeah, you know I think it's also something that, that motivates me to keep trying to um, to get better to a point where I respect my my own game enough that I would consider myself an elite player. So yeah. Now you talk about the challenges of having a 50-hour workweek job. Right. And try to play magic at the highest level. Can you tell people what you do for a living? Yeah, I am a uh, the director of research for a small retained executive search firm um, in Los Angeles. Basically, uh, what that all means is that I'm a headhunter. Um, I work for a small company. The company other companies will will hire us and, and retain our services to um, fill a particularly tricky um, position that they have open. Uh, and, and this position might require a specific skill set 
or they may be requiring people from specific companies, um, or you know they might be looking for someone who's just extremely high level and they need the search to be done in a uh, in sort of a thorough manner. And so they'll retain us uh, and pay us a, a, an upfront fee, and we'll manage the entire process of um, you know evaluating the marketplace and analyzing their company, learning everything there is to learn about the position and their competitors, and then going out and actually finding people who could be appropriate from this job, you know, whether it's uh, at their competitors or at um, other companies that are relevant in the industry or people who, who may be, um, you, know, you know, looking for the next opportunity, um, contact them and, and sort of pitch the job to them and, and then uh, try to set up, uh, you know, phone conversations such that, uh, um, you know, we can fill, fill that opening. And, and it's, uh, it's a job that's, you know, I, I'm working on, uh, you know, on, on one day I'm working to try to find a research director for a, um, for a biotech uh, startup in in Miami, Florida, you know, working on curing um, degenerative eye diseases, and the next day I'm looking for someone, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone to direct buying operations for a, a Walmart type company who's going to buy, you know, farm supplies. So uh, it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me uh, uh, sort of interested in thinking, and um, you know, it's uh, I'm enjoying it. So you don't have the job that allows you to sneak on Magic Online for a couple hours a day to practice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have Magic Online on my work computer. Um, that would not be an option for me. No, no, but what I'm saying is there's some jobs where there's slow time, where you can right. kind of do other things if you want to read an article or something like that. But sure. it looks like your job, you don't have slow time. Right. No, and, and uh, yeah, I'm, I, it's, it's what you say is true, and I often find myself sort of uh, out of the loop when it comes to a lot of Magic news. I, I had to find out um, a couple of days later that, that Jason Stoneforge um, you know, were banned, or a couple hours later, after after everyone was asking me, you know, what I thought about Boros, and I told them I have, I have nothing new to add, and then they told me Stoneforge was banned. And okay, wow, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't uh, um, keep up with Magic News as well as, as maybe I should, um, as, you know, for someone playing on the Pro Tour. Talk about your move games and what that meant to you in the beginning part of your career. Sure. Yeah, I mean, your your move games for for, for those people who don't know, um, was the name of a, uh, a chain, actually, at one point, of hobby game card shops uh, around um, the New England area, one in, one in uh, you know, greater Boston and another one in Rhode Island, owned by uh, Pro Throw Hall of Famer, um, but at the time, you know, just as Rob, uh, Robert Doherty. Uh, and it was basically the, the mecca of high-level magic on the East Coast, um, for the, the really the, the early stages of the Pro Tour. It's where, uh, you know, of course, Rob Doherty and Dave Humphreys and Darwin Castle and Justin Gary, uh, Brian Kibler, um, sort of, uh, honed their craft and, and, uh, and you, you could see, um, all five of those people at a, at the equivalent of a Friday Night Magic at Irmoo Games, um, on a, you know, random night in, in September. Um, and, and so you could be playing in a 14-person tournament where, in order to win the tournament, you might have to beat three of those guys. So, you know, for, for me as a, you know, 12-year-old kid at the time, um, you know, I, I learned by doing a ton of losing. Um, I, would, I would get into drafts where I would be um, the eighth best player in the draft by a long shot, um, you know, and, uh, I, and that is um, sort of how I cut teeth. And, and, uh, and when I finally was able to, use all of those pad beats to, to qualify for my, my first pro tour, 
um, Rob uh, was nice enough and, and continued his long-standing policy of inviting any uh, sort of loyal local um, you know kids that qualify for the Pro Tour to test with the uh, the Ermuhim. And, and for the first, uh, I guess, three or four years that I was on the Pro Tour, I would test exclusively um, you know with those guys and, and really learned about you know what it takes to be prepared for a real event, how to go about. Um, sort of breaking down untested format, how to, uh, you know, how to draft, uh, and how to, how to learn about draft archetypes. Um, and, uh, and those guys were really good about, uh, uh, about, you know, trying to teach and trying to include people in, in what they were doing. And, um, it was a, uh, uh, it's one of those things, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, or read Outliers, but, uh, um, you know, basically, um, you know, if I had been the exact same person but born, uh, you know, 50 miles to the west of where I was, I, you know, I would, I would never have um, sort of played on the pro tour or achieved any level of, uh, of success in the game. But it just so happens that I, I lived um, growing up, you know, five miles from, uh, you know, probably the, the 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 greatest place you could ever want to train uh, a Magic player. So uh, and I'm here, here uh, talking to you today. You brought up losing. And a lot of people nowadays have been brought up in a system of little Johnny or little Jane doesn't lose. And right. they don't know how to handle losing. You said that your losing has helped you learn more about magic immensely. Right. And I'm not saying that you're in an older generation, but how does the newest <laughs> – because uh, you're still in your 20s. So right. how does the young generation handle – losing because they're not used to it. What kind of advice do you give for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, partially it's something that uh, that comes with maturity. Um, it's also something that, that's come a, a little bit easier for me, I think, than, than a lot of other people because magic has never been the one single solitary central focus of my life. Um, we're at a time now, you know, in, in magic where, um, you know, some some of these uh, you know younger kids are with, with the Star City series and and all the Grand Prix, and the next year they're doubling the Grand Prix. I mean, they're going to be playing Magic every weekend, every day, uh, and not everyone can be you know Brown and 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 win all of his matches and 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 make um, you know enough money to support himself. Uh, um, so you know they're they're going through a lot of things. So um, you know I think that um, you know you have to uh, to identify. Um, you know the kind of match that you're losing. Um, you know if you're if you're losing because you're um, you know because you're making mistakes, it's it's really important if you actually have ambitions to to improve the game um, to to figure out why you made those mistakes. Not just um, the specific mistake. Not just okay, I forgot to do this specific thing. But but what type of mistake did I make? Was it because I rushed? Was it because I wasn't prepared? Was it because my opponent acted or 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 uh, acted in a certain way or played a card I wasn't expecting and I didn't react to it well. And then, you know, when you're, uh, when you're faced with a situation in the future, you know, you have to rely on that past experience. And, and, and that's something that, you know, as I mentioned, I've, I've lost a ton and I've lost in every single way you can, you can imagine um, to my own, you know, mistakes and, and, uh, um, and sort of strategical errors. Um, and so, you know, I'm able to, to, to not consciously but subconsciously, you know, bring that stuff back to the forefront of, of my mind. Um, to make better decisions now. If you're losing um, and, and you think you're losing because of what you perceive to be luck, um, 
you got to be very careful uh, in just assuming that that's the reason why um, people, and, and this has been written, of course, before, they, they dramatically overestimate how, how much of an impact luck has on, on any particular game of Magic. And, and while it's true that there are games where you could be doing things um, sort of as, as, as well as possible to maximize your um, expected value of winning the game and, and still lose, a lot of magic games uh, in, that, that seemingly are decided by luck are actually decided by more subtle um, applications of skill. Um, and, and it may be things that happened before a match started, whether in the way you composed your deck, um, you know, in, in the way that, uh, um, you know, you, you built your sideboard and the way that you prepared um, in order to, to play the first few turns of the game. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's true that... Uh, uh, you know, you're not going to win every match, and if you look at the the, the win percentages of uh, of the best players ever to play the game, I mean, it's in the 60s, you know, maybe the low 70 percentages. So, you know, for the kids that that that, that are that are frustrated losing, you know, I, I would I would tell them, look, you know, there are, there's never ever ever been more tournaments than there are right now. There's going to be another one next week. You can't let that um, cost you another match in the future. And, and, you know, it, it may be tough at the time, but try to learn something from, uh, um, from what happened because, uh, um, you know, just, just chalking it up to getting mana screwed or mulling into oblivion is, is not constructive and is not going to lead towards um, the progression to being, you know, who you want to be. I'm reading into the question maybe a little bit, or your statement. The Star City series is constant, and it's like every week. Right. So is that good or bad for players? Because especially with the deck being the deck to play. Right. I'm wondering if you're actually catching the errors you're making because you're always playing the same thing. Right. I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a very big risk. If, you're one of the, if you consider yourself to be the elite in whatever circle you're in, it doesn't matter if it's um, the Star City Game circuit, the Pro Tour itself, your Friday Night Magic. If you think that you're one of the elite players um, and then... When, when you lose a match, your tendency is going to be to chalk it up to, quote, variance or, you know, a bad beat or, or luck or, you know, some, uh, you know, obviously inferior player playing an inferior deck getting lucky. Um, there, there, is a, there is a tendency, the, the more you play and the more successful you are, to do less uh, introspection and, and self-analysis. And that danger is increased if you're playing every single weekend uh, and having a success the, the vast majority of the time. Um, and, and so that's why, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you, you always want to uh, – uh, it's dangerous, A, to consider yourself an elite player, and B, you need to constantly seek out people who are better than you to play. I, I, I've never had that problem because, I, you know, I, like I said, I grew up here and moved games, and, you know, there's – you know, four Hall of Famers, and there should be a fifth that that I was playing with weekly. And 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 now I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm play testing with with Hall of Famers and, and 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 people who are obviously way more accomplished and better than I am. But if you're if you're playing every day, um, there's an atrophy of skills and atrophy of approach that can occur. Um, and and you need to constantly stay vigilant and try to find people who are better than you to keep on your toes and and give you losses that you're capable of learning something. From. You have a Hall of Fame ballot. Yes. How difficult is it for you to make the votes for the people you're there? I reviewed your ballot where you had Kibler on it. Mm-hmm. That was on a Starkey and Post article. Right. And you described how difficult it was. 
Yeah. How difficult is it from year to year to do this? You know, um, it's definitely something, it's a responsibility, especially my third time voting for, for the Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, and for me, the, the first year, I, I was, you know, flying sort of blindly in the wind, and and, uh, and my votes were, um, you know, admittedly, I, you know, I'm not sure that I, I voted for the most qualified candidates. And, and last year, I think I did a little bit better. I, I voted, uh, all three people who were elected were, were, were ended up being on my ballot, uh, um, Gabe, uh, Bram, and, and Brian. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that, uh, you know, is very important to me. I, I, um, because of how long I played the game and, and some of the, the, the people I've had the pleasure and the honor to be associated with, um, because of their, their legacies, you know, I, I have a respect for the Hall of Fame that, uh, you know, I hope is, um, is, is sort of elevated and unique. Um, you know, for me, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to vote. Um, my, my process this year is going to be, uh, is going to be pretty simple. Um, you know, it's, it, first of all, from an integrity standpoint, um, the, I, that, that's, the, that's actually the first call that I will do of the list of possible candidates. Anyone that, uh, that I have so much as a, a sort of a small question, um, that they may have played, uh, the game anywhere other, any way other but above the table and straightforward and, and, uh, and honorable, um, you know, is, is, is out of consideration for me to, to be voted for. It's, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't vote for Saito when he was eligible last year. Um, and then at that point, you know, I, I think that the next cut for me will be the, 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 the statistical cut, the, the metrics. Um, you know, I'll look at people's top eights and, and, and certainly I think that, um, anyone without, uh, without at least three pro four top eights should, 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 should really be, uh, uh, out of consideration. And, and, you know, at my own expense, I, I would say really, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I think, I think four pro four top eights is, is, is really the, the level you should be at in order to be in an institution like the Hall of Fame. Um, and then that, that, uh, that lifetime pro tour point level again, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm short of the mark, but, but someone without at least 200 lifetime pro tour points, it's going to be tough for me to, to vote for. And, and I'm at, you know, under 180. So again, it's, that's damning to my own chances, but, um, it's sort of the way I feel about it. Um, and then, you know, once I've gotten a list, I guess, uh, of, of everyone that I feel is, uh, um, I guess ethically, uh, uh, impe- or unimpeachable, um, and, and statistically worthy, I'm just going to look at people that I think have added the most to, the culture of the game, whether it's people that I think have been, um, you know, a, a positive force on the pro tour, uh, whether it's been the writing and the community contributions, or whether it's uh, it's just, they're just sheer excellence in play. How, you know, how scared you were to put this person on the pro tour, um, and hopefully I'll be able to, to call it down to a list of five. Um, you know, for me, I think uh, you know last year the, the last person I had to cut off my list was was Steve O'Mahony Schwartz, and, and that's that's a that was a very tough cut because he's. He's certainly a guy that I could I could see in, in the Hall of Fame someday. You brought up another qualification for the Hall of Fame that I don't think a lot of people talk about, and that's contributions to magic. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just totally ignore that and just look at pure raw data. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the first two-thirds of your qualification. And they mm-hmm. don't look at the last one because, honestly... There are people out there that have done tremendous things from writing to books to just being a representative of the magic community in the right way. Uh, even the perfect example is at GPs, going in the booth and spending 10 minutes in the booth just 
talking to the people and and giving them something back is something that is immeasurable. Mm -hmm. Here's a question I'll bring up to you that may never, ever come true, but I will ask about this. Contributors. Mm -hmm. What about the people like BDM and Rich Hagen? Mm -hmm. People that have given the community so much between their articles, the coverage at the Pro Tour, the fact that these people are just really good human beings. Is there a day that you will see magic? We want to recognize the designers that have helped the game. We want to recognize the faces of magic. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't happen. I, you know, I think right now it's called the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour Hall of Fame. Um, and, you know, the, the implication, I guess, to a certain extent, is that there's some level of Pro Tour success that, that's, that's mandatory in order to consider someone for that sort of an enshrinement. But, but, to, but to, to, to maybe expand it to consider it the Magic Hall of Fame, um, and to include people like, like not just, uh, not just coverage or design people, but also, um, uh, you know, maybe artists or, or people who are responsible for the flavor or, or even people who are responsible for brand marketing. I mean, the, uh, the major sports hall of fame do that certainly. Um, I, I think that there's one aspect of the magic pro tour hall of fame, which is unique from those other sports. And that's the, um, the lifetime, uh, you know, pro tour qualifications, um, that I, I don't think I would be personally comfortable extending that particular honor to people who hadn't um, already achieved Pro Tour success. Um, just because, you know, like I said, I think that it's a, a unique honor that, that comes that, that should go to someone who's put in the hours and, and the years and, and, and the miles to, 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 to grind out the Pro Tour circuit. But I, I absolutely think that there's a place to expand the Hall of Fame and make it more of a, a holistic magic Hall of Fame to, um, you know, to, to honor and, and, uh, and make sure the legacies of the people who um, perpetuate the game that, that we love that's given us so much, um, you know, are maintained and, and enshrined. Um, I absolutely think that, uh, um, you know, uh, that, that they should have their own ceremony and their, their own rings and, and that they, they belong there um, just as much as someone who, uh, um, you know, purports to be uh, a pro. You brought up in your normal tweets, you talk an awful lot about sports. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is a passion for you between hockey and now baseball and football. And mm-hmm. You do a little basketball, but not a lot, it doesn't seem like. So, no, not about basketball. <laughs> so obviously your love for Boston sports in general is pretty obvious. Sure. You can actually relate to what they do because you play something at the professional level. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to watch other professionals in a different sport do what they do and you not have the saying of just do this or do that or trying to help them when you know you can't? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, um, you know, that that's something that uh, we all struggle with as sports fans. You know, obviously the perspective of, of, of doing something professionally um, you know, add something to it. Um, you know, f- for me, um, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I play, I still play hockey to this day. I play hockey once a week and, um, uh, you know, I, 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 so I'm able to better, um, you know, uh, understand the game than I do football or, or baseball. So I watch football and baseball, not, not as a dispassionate fan, but without the feelings of, oh God, why didn't you just do that? You know, whereas in hockey, 
um, because I'm able to, to use the experience of actually having uh, a plane currently, when I see someone you know, make a boneheaded error or, um, you know, or, or do something differently that maybe they should have, um, you know, it's a lot, it is difficult for me to not want to sort of jump through the screen and, 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 and tell them, you know, how to do something. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, maybe on the, on the other side, for a sport like uh, baseball or football, I guess baseball especially, because, you know, I, I know more about it than I do about football, you know, having played so much magic at, at, a, at a high level, um, I, you know, I know how hard it is to win, uh, you know, at the high level of the pro tour. And I know, you know, uh, and I, I don't know, um, you know, the, the difficulties of, uh, of, of hitting a, uh, a cliff leaf fastball. So, um, you know, when, when, uh, you know, when, when someone strikes out badly or, or looks at an ugly pitch, uh, um, that, that, you know, ostensibly right down the middle, um, you know, the, the instinct for me to want to be upset with them for, for screwing up or doing something which was so obviously, uh, the wrong thing to do is pretty quick quelled by the fact that I really have no idea, um, you know, what kind of position they're in or, or what they're facing. Um, you know, I, I, I never harbored uh, ambitions to be a professional athlete, but I especially bring the ball. So, um, yeah, so, so I, I think maybe I, I spend more on um, having better shoes and, and face for If I could tell you tomorrow you had two choices, mm-hmm. I could guarantee you a seat at Pro Tour Philadelphia's top eight. You don't have to play. You're there. Okay. Or... I could give you Game Seven of Boston in the NHL Championship. Mm-hmm. You're there. Which one would you take, and why? The game in Boston, or or on the road? No, no, game Seven, Boston. It's three three. Oh no, yeah. Give me give me tickets to Game Seven in Boston. That's easy. I, I was actually I was at Game Seven uh, of the Eastern Conference Finals against um, Tampa Bay, and 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 up late night uh, watching the game and drinking the night before uh, Grand Prix Providence. So I, I, I made that decision on a much smaller scale, and it wasn't difficult for me to, to prioritize Game 7 over uh, um, a good night's sleep for the tournament. So um, that, that's, uh, that's an easy one for me. Uh, you know, the, the, the program will be there forever, but you, but you never know, um, you know how many times. I mean, this, this could literally be the only time um, the Bruins win if, if, if they're on their – if they win another 39 years, I'll be uh, 64 when they next win the Stanley Cup. So you, you don't want to pass those opportunities up when you get them. It was an interesting question because it depends on how people look at things. A lot of people think of their own self saying, oh, I could win 40 grand. Or you look at the fact of being there for that moment. Oh, yeah, the moment. Give me the moment. Yeah. Give me, and, and also, you know, I think I've been a hockey fan, interested in hockey. For, for for longer than I've been involved in magic and um, and in some ways you know magic is, is something that I spend more time on and it's something that that I personally am able to participate in at a higher level but hockey is important to me in a, in, in different and um, and in some ways uh, uh, more uh, more ephemeral and 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 emotional ways than magic could ever be because it's 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 the first sport that I ever played it's a sport that I still play and it's my favorite sport. Uh, you know, my dad still plays, and he taught me how to play. So, um, it, you know, it's it, 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 magic is my second favorite sport. Hockey is is my first. So. Oh, darn it! I was going to ask a follow up question of having <laughs> you having you be out on the ice in Game Seven, but I guess obviously you answered that question by saying you'd be out on the ice. Then, well, 
not cur- not currently because I think I'd get knocked unconscious on my first shift. But let's say I could be a player of average skill level. I, yes. I would take that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But no, I'm I'm too miserably out of shape to to want to be on the ice with those guys. They're animals. Is it difficult because you're in a solo sport? I mean, really. I mean, magic is you against another person. It's like golf. Absolutely. Tennis. Is it more difficult to work with a team? Like the example of the thing that I've been talking about that. I would really like to see brought back is the three-man team tournament mm-hmm. with the expansion of the Grand Prix. This could fit in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Is it more difficult playing on a three-man team than it is for you to go head-to-head against someone? Um, well, you know, I think that that's uh, uh, that's something that's changed also with with the rules. I think it, it's certainly um, it used to be. Uh, in, in a certain way, because you weren't able to speak with your teammates during matches, which is now, you know, obviously you're allowed to give them direct play advice as long as you don't touch their cards. Um, I think the unique thing about team events, and this is something that makes, you know, magic team events, uh, and, and even more so when you couldn't speak to them, but it makes them very much like team sports, is, is that feeling of, wow, you know, I, I could do my best. I could have my best game, do everything right, and still lose. And on the flip side, I could blow it. I mean, I could really screw up, and and yet my teammates could bail me out. Um, there, there is a, for me at least personally, um, team events. While they're also the most fun, they happen to be the most stressful things. There, there is nothing uh, like the feeling of messing up and letting down your two teammates who have split their matches and are watching you from behind and and hoping that you're going to pull out a tight match. Um, it is a it is a heartbreaking heartbreaking thing, um, and, and yeah, it's true. You know, magic is a, a sort of a cutthroat individual sport, and there is no one there to comfort you when you're you know zero and three at, at a pro tour in Zimbabwe or wherever it is. Um, and and so uh, you know, in certain ways, I think uh, having that shared experience in, in the team pro tour um, is something that uh, I definitely miss and, and wish was at least a small part, um, you know, of the schedule. Uh, you know, not to mention it, you know, as I recently wrote about, and, you know, I think that, that, that a team season, especially a team PTQ or Grand Prix season, um, you know, really encourages fostering, the, um, uh, you know, social skills and communication and building friendships and, and those sort of things that, that, that magic really, um, can be doing more for, for, for kids and, um, and even sort of young adults who are coming up in the game. So if I said this was available, can I take a gander that it would be you, Sperling, and Nassif? Uh, well, it would certainly be me and Matt, and, and, and certainly Gabe would be free to play with us if he, if he wanted to. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, you know where uh, Nassif is living. Uh, you know, at, at that time, you know, he, he bounces back and forth between Michigan and, and Paris. And so, um, you know, a lot of it depends on if he's in the United States, if there's, you know, major poker events that are happening, you know, beforehand. So Matt and I would certainly be the first two, and, and uh, we'd love to have Gabe certainly um, up there that caliber. But, you know, I'm not, uh, I guess, 100% sure that, that he would uh, be available to play with us at that time. But I'd, I, would, I, would, I would love to. If we could book that team right now, I'm in. <laughs> so if he's not available... Who's the third man on the team? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of different options. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of it, uh, with, with if, if not in a seat, um, would, would be determined by how the other guys in California shake out. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, with Brian Kibler living in San Diego, the, the proximity of the three of us all living in Southern California, uh, you know, that would be a possible option. 
Um, you know, I'd mentioned, uh, you know, Brad Nelson. We, we played a team draft with him in, uh, um, in, uh, uh, was Nagoya and, and seemed to have some natural chemistry. Um, you know, I, with, with those team tournaments, you know, basically, um, you either are in a position where you have your team and you know it and you lock it in, or, um, you know, there's a bunch of high level players who are communicating with each other and, and you, uh, you sort of try to work it out. But it, it's frequently in a situation where you have, Two guys know they want to play together, and they're trying to figure out on a third who, who may be a little more geographically isolated, um, and uh, and then you try to try to work it out. But uh, somehow it always does work out, uh, and uh, you know usually for, for for the better. I will ask about that. Worlds is sort of right in your backyard. Yeah. What is the anticipation of having Worlds basically in your backyard? Well, it's, it's going to be a tournament where I will have family and friends there. Certainly, my my parents are actually flying out. Um, from uh, from uh, Massachusetts to to the West Coast, um, you know, to, to spend time with me in Santa Monica uh, um, after the tournament. So, but they'll 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 be in San Francisco for that weekend, and um, I have friends already in San Francisco, including uh, uh, you know a friend's wife who'll be uh, in her first year getting her MBA at Stanford. So they're gonna come around that weekend. So I'll have people who have, have sort of never seen me play Magic Live, uh, you know, around me that weekend. Um, for me personally, there's certainly an added level of expectation. Uh, you know, when you go to a tournament that's not 10 hours away, um, you have a, a mental built-in crutch and excuse that, ah, you know, I didn't do well, but, you know, I was jet-lagged and there was a long travel and I wasn't used to the food and the hotel, blah, blah, blah. When you're a five-hour drive away from the tournament uh, or, or a 40-minute flight and, you know, you're on the same time zone, um, you know, you really want to make sure, especially for a tournament like Worlds, that uh, that I'm well prepared and and that I give it my best shot. Um, especially given that it is the World Championships, and and that's that's why you know I'm, for for uh, for nationals this year, I I started my preparation earlier than ever um, because I really really want to get on that national team. It would it would mean uh, in world to me, and, it, and it's the probably the biggest gaping hole uh, on my Magic resume right now is that I've never been on a national team. So. That's that's my biggest goal this year. Because you have the ability to make nationals this year. Yes. So you're preparing for it. You're in basically within hours of home. You have all your family in. Let's say you're part of nationals team, and you make another run kind of like at Paris or right. in Amsterdam. Right. You had talked about after Nagoya that you thought you were done for player of the year. Right. You get bonus points for being on the national team. Winning worlds is, I forget how many points, a lot. Yeah. Doesn't that put you in the same situation that Guillaume was last year? Yeah, well, I mean, of course we got another pro tour before that. So, yeah. you know, a lot of things are going to shake out, um, you know, at, at that point. You know, it, I'm in a position right now where um, I'm not in the race so much. Um, but I'm not completely out of it, you know, either. If I were to put up, uh, um, you know, if I were to make the national team and then maybe make top 16 in, uh, um, in Philadelphia or something, you know, like that and maybe make a, a cash at, uh, at one of the Grand Prix, I would certainly be in a position where, you know, a win at, at Worlds would, would give me a really good shot to, uh, um, to, to win that player of the year race. So, um, you know, I'm not completely out of it. Um, you know, the, the, the getting the minimum in Nagoya really uh, hurt my chances of being a, a front runner or anything near a favorite. Um, but uh, um, you know, 
we'll see. It would, it would certainly be the dream situation to occur. But, uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I, you know, I, I try never to think, um, you know, that, that far ahead. You know, got to just, for me right now, my focus, uh, magic wise is on, you know, finding a standard deck for nationals and, and, and making the national team. And, and, you know, once, if, if I'm going successfully do that, I'll move on to the next tournament and kind of take it from there. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to nationals. I, I will personally not be there because I'm still finagling trying to get the Pro Tour Philadelphia and Worlds pretty much looks set. Good. I have a question for you. If you're a fan of Magic, coming to watch a Pro Tour, is that what every fan should attempt to do before they change it that you can't come in unless you're a part of it or pressed? Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I, I think that's 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 what I would say for sure. I think that um, when, when, you, when you look at the Pro Tour as opposed to the Grand Prix, there is an officialness, there is a, a spectacle to it, uh, and there's a seriousness to the competition, a, a, an elite um, sort of uh, a feeling to it that doesn't exist at a Grand Prix where you have you know 2,000 people spread across a gigantic convention hall. I mean, when you look at a, a Pro Tour, I mean, if you look at the matches that are not feature matches, you could find easily 15 every round, which would be guaranteed lock feature matches at Grand Prix. Um, you know, to, you know, combine that with uh, you know the set and the scenery and the feature match area at the Pro Tour, uh, and the chance to meet uh, you know a lot of the maybe the foreign pros who aren't going to show up at your average American Grand Prix. And it's definitely something I would, if I were a fan of Magic. Um, you know, try to do it before uh, before you lose the opportunity. And and I'm and you know, on a on a on a separate note, I'm hoping that the private pro tour is not something that, that's a permanent change because I think it would be a shame for people to not be able to interact with uh, the the pro magic community at large. How do people get a hold of you if they want to contact you or have questions? Your Twitter account, the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, tw- twittercom Ritzel is is the best way. Um, to get a hold of me, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been on there more recently than, 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 uh, than, than usual. It's not, uh, um, uh, I guess common for me to be on as frequently as I have been. Um, I also, uh, um, you know, I, I just wrote my, wrote my first article for, uh, for Channel Fireball recently. I'm going to be trying to get into more of a, uh, a solid, um, you know, every two weeks get an article in there. Um, and, and I, I'm usually pretty good about responding to comments in those articles as well. So, uh, but, but yeah, twitter.com slash Paul Rietzel is, uh, um, the best way if you have like a quick question and, and I'll, and I'll do my best to, uh, um, to get back to you in a reasonable period of time. Are you planning to do draft videos? Because you said that was a, not a strength of your game. Are you going to do draft videos to maybe help yourself along with give people some insight? I definitely am, and, and, and uh, you know, I, uh, I I'm definitely planning on doing that. Uh, I, as I uh, as I told you, uh, my my, um, my technical situation here, I have a um, sort of an archaic uh, computer setup here where where I don't have a, a a webcam or audio or any of those things. So I'm uh, I'm I'm coordinating with Luis and the guys at Channel Fireball, and I think maybe they're gonna um, hook me up with some of that technical equipment that I need to start filming graphics. It's definitely something that the people have asked me for, and I know people are interested in it, and I depend on doing it, and, uh, uh, look forward to having people sort of mock me and, and, and laugh at my picks as I, um, you know, lose 8-4 after 8-4. So, um, but no, yeah, it's, it's a definite plan in the future, and, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping to get some up or national. You want to talk about someone who gets mocked constantly based on their drafts, and even though 
he does really well on him <laughs> is TSG. He gets comments, like 80, 90 comments on his draft, and yet mm-hmm. he'll either make the finals or win it. Well, see, that's that's a that's a, uh, a function of, of an unfair bias in the Magic community. Just people just assume that uh, uh, that your your results at the Pro Tour level are are, a, are the be all end all of your skill at any particular format that that exists. And so you know, I can I can say something, and it can be totally ridiculous. And 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 a lot of people will know it's ridiculous, but people will still think that what I'm saying is. Is, is is good and correct, whereas someone like TSG, who may know exactly what he's talking about, could say something, but because he doesn't have the results to back it up, people won't give him the benefit of the doubt, and um, and I think that's uh, that's a shame. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, um, you know I I I think that those draft videos are an excellent way to learn, not just for the people watching them because they get to see how someone else thinks, but for the people doing them as well, being forced to to uh, to explain your thought process to. Uh, to the to the public is uh uh it's very revealing and uh you have to you have to be able to to defend yourself for the meta magic this is robert martin signing off